Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you. Uh, my name is Haircut Gramen. I'm sorry, Alex Gramen. Uh, I looked floppier hair last week. That's the joke there. Um, boy, is it great to be with you. Thank you for being at church today. If you're here at Manhattan Beach, so glad that you could uh, be here in person. Same thing for Torrance. We absolutely love connecting over to our Torrance campus. So glad you're at church. And if you're watching this online, maybe Sunday, maybe throughout the week, thanks for making it part of your week uh, so we can all be together uh, through that method. Hey, uh, we are today uh, going to start a brand new series of messages. For the next four weeks, we're going to be in our Backstory 3 series, uh, and that is pointing towards a, this is the, the, the final of a trilogy of the backstory series we've been doing year by year for the past three years. And in this series, we're looking at Old Testament stories, stories that come from that first half of the Bible uh, that we may not have studied before. Uh, and so the reason we do that is because the Old Testament is full of wisdom and God's insight of how he interacts with people. It can be such a great way for us to look at these stories of truth and then find an even closer connection with Jesus. In fact, mentioning Jesus, this is the Bible he had. He had the Old Testament. When he was doing his ministry on earth 2,000 years ago, the Bible for him was this Old Testament that we're looking into. And so we want to learn from the same stories he learned from. He found connection with God through scripture, through the Old Testament, and we really have a desire to do that too. So for the four weeks, we've chosen four different stories that are valuable, that are uh, interesting, but also stories we thought maybe we wouldn't get to in any other context text in the other series uh, because we really want to look into them together. So I want to encourage you during this series to read these stories also on your own. It can be a great primer of how to read the Old Testament and, and what truth we can learn from it that way. Today we're going to start out by going almost to the very beginning uh, to start, and I don't just mean the Bible though, I do mean that, but I mean of course the beginning then of all things because the first part of the Bible, the very first chapter of the book of Genesis is about creation. And so if you start reading at the beginning of the Bible, You'll read Genesis chapter 1, where God, by his will and through his voice, creates all things. He takes a void, an emptiness, an unformed universe, and he puts form and structure to it, and then he fills that structure with life in all of its various forms. And then in Genesis chapter 1, it has its climax in the final, ultimate act of creation for God, which was creating human beings, you and I. Specifically, he creates the first two humans, Adam and Eve, and you can read their story in the next two chapters, so chapter 2 and 3 of Genesis. They are given a paradise, the Garden of Eden, to live in in direct connection with God. But because they have sin in them, uh, it overflows into disobedience, uh, and they sin against God and create a rift, uh, create a brokenness in their relationship with God. Now, thank goodness, God still loves them. He wants to bring wholeness and forgiveness just like he does today, so he offers them forgiveness and reconnection. He specifically tells them that he was going to rescue them. He'll send a savior, which, of course, is what Jesus did to, uh, thousands of years after that, thousands of years before our time, uh, to bring salvation, bring a reconnection and forgive us of our sins. Um, You can read about that in chapters 2 and 3, but then actually our story today that we're going to focus on comes from Genesis chapter 4. It's the the story of their first children, Cain and Abel. What we're going to find from this passage, and we don't often read it like this, this is going to be instructive to us on the topic of worship. How do we honor God? What does it look like for us to bring good gifts 
to God. In fact, that's where I want to start today. I want to tell you a story uh, about a gift I received. This was many years ago. In fact, in my first job uh, or early job in church ministry, uh, we were living in Minnesota and I worked for about six years at a very small rural church. So it was out in farm country in Minnesota. Now, I am not a farm country guy. I am a, I've always lived in cities my whole life, but this was a good youth pastor job. So I went out to this, I mean, literally most of the congregation were farmers as their career. Uh, They talked to me about pole barns and the soybean crops, and it was mind-blowing to me. It was like going on a missions trip to a foreign culture for me getting used to this. But it was a really wonderful small church got to work with the students there. Uh, While I was there the first year, uh, as my birthday was approaching, a couple weeks out, the the leader of the women's ministry, her name was Diane, came to me after a service once, and she said, Pastor Alex, the women of the church want to buy you a present for your birthday. And of course, I'm a big gifts guy, so I said, that is so generous. Thank you so much for honoring me like that. She said, we have a couple weeks before your real birthday, and my job as the leader of the women's ministry is to discover what present we should buy you. Uh, So she wanted to be thoughtful about the gift. So she started asking me questions. Her first question was, so do you like fishing? And I said, oh, Diane, no, I do not like fishing. Thank you so much for asking that. She's like, oh, do you like hiking? And I was like, ooh, nuts. Oh, I'm so sorry. I I don't at all. And you could tell even by that second question, she started getting confused. Her her picture of what people might like uh, was being broken down. She said, camping? And I was like, ugh. And then she just went through a list of other things I assume she thought men liked uh, and I do not like. She was like, do you like hunting? Do you like outdoor sports? Do you like, I mean, all these other things. And I kept being like, ugh, no, ooh, sorry, Diane, no, ooh, ooh, ooh. Finally, I just said, Diane, here's the deal. Let me, let me try to explain it. Anything that happens outside, that's not for me, I said. <laughs> I said, I'm an indoors guy. In fact, some of you have heard me describe myself as an avid indoorsman. Uh, that's where all my stuff is. I love being inside. So I said, I, I like movies and tech and candy. Uh, and I was like, not even outside candy, inside candy. That's why I go to movies to eat the candies. Um, and, and so she, you can see it was a little off kilter for her. She was kind of dazed by this whole thing. But she said, oh, okay, I will do my best, she said, for this mind-boggling person that I was in front of her. She went away, and she did a fantastic job. Just a few weeks later, on my birthday, the women of the church gifted me, uh, it, was, it was one of those car coolers that you can put a few sodas into this cooler, it plugs into the outlet in your car, and I thought that was absolutely incredible, because a car is kind of like being inside and outside at the same time, it's like the meeting of worlds, it had a plug so it was a piece of tech. I thought it was a fantastic job. I was so grateful for the thoughtfulness she put into it. And actually, this was 20 plus years ago. I still remember that moment helping me as a person think through, first of all, how do I present myself and explain who I am to people? But then also, the thoughtfulness that she went through taught me so much about great gift giving. The way that I want to be real, not just give gifts randomly, but really investigate, understand what would make a great gift. Now, 
that's not often the context we put it in, but that is what we mean when we talk about this word in church, the word worship. We are talking about what kind of gifts, what kind of honor are we showing to God? Are we the kind of people who are as thoughtful for the things, the, the, the praises, the, the gifts that we're giving to God who deserves it most? Now, of course, worship sometimes means the singing part of a service, but that is just the very beginning of what worship is, because truly this word really means to ascribe worth in any context. Anytime we put layers on things where we put something above ourselves in some way, we are showing honor and worship to that thing. That can be as minor as seeing a celebrity uh, on TV or, or in something and saying, wow, that person, thinking in our minds, man, I wish I was like that person. That person is better looking and more talented and shinier than I am. That is a form of internal worship towards something. It doesn't even have to be with people. It can even be objects. If we see a car or a phone or a piece of clothing that we, we want, we, we need that thing, so we save up the money or not, even we just plunk down money we don't even have to get that thing. We are ascribing value to something That is a minor form of worship. When our heart turns to something to ascribe worth, that is the the base definition of worship. So we do practice the religious form of worship here at church, or it's intended to be in our lives. When we get together for a service, we spend the first 20, 25 minutes singing. We call that the worship section of our worship service. Now, who are we ascribing worth to during that time? It's God, of course. He is the one who deserves it the most. The most true and right worship would be turning our hearts, choosing to give God good gifts. Now, it's supposed to go way beyond just 25 minutes in a worship service, though, on a Sunday morning. And I don't just mean outside of a night of worship like we had this week. I mean our life is supposed to be an act of worship towards God. We're supposed to dedicate every action, every attitude, every thought would be focused on bringing God the glory he deserves. So we are going to learn today, take inspiration from Diane, take inspiration from the Bible story we're about to read, uh, that it has to do with gift giving. How do we give good gifts? In fact, let me spool it to our positive uh, statement here. We can give great gifts of worship to God. Not just good, we can be people who learn how to great, give great gifts to God. Now this might stick out to us because well, what makes a great act of worship? How do we work? And is that really how it works? Is there good worship and then like lousy worship? What we're going to find out is that, yeah, as according to the Bible, there are ways that God wants to receive a gift, and we need to be thoughtful to investigate him in a way that would allow us to bring him the worship that he deserves. So like I said, we are going to read this story from Genesis 4. Uh, I want to start out again by, by reading just the beginning of it. This is the story of the first children, Cain and Abel, uh, the children of Adam and Eve. So it says, now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. Now the beginning of these verses is like, listen, that's a little too much information. We don't need all the details of how this happened. But what, what we should be realizing is this was the first 
time that this was the method of producing human beings. In both the case of Adam and Eve, God himself created them. So when it's mentioning the awkwardness of their sexual relations, it is saying, for the first time, procreation produced humans. That's why Eve is so surprised. I produced a man. How, how new that must have been to her. Um, this, is, this is the outcome of the, the story of all humanity. Um, now, we skip straight from this moment of conception and then also birth straight into their career choices. Remember, Cain is the older brother, Abel the younger. Here's what it says. When they grew up, Abel the younger brother became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. That means he was a farmer. And we need to understand that these are not just career choices they made because of what they thought was fun in their lives. Or they were like, hey, Dad, I want to become a farmer. Wouldn't that be great? They may have had a little bit of that, but these two represent, these two careers represent the absolute life priorities for these early humans. In the Garden of Eden, that was a place where Adam and Eve had everything they needed provided by God, where God was caring for them by literally being their provision. Uh, Food and wellness was available to them at every turn. But when they sinned, when they brought sin into the world, there was a brokenness that came with consequence. And one of those consequences was needing to leave the garden. The place of perfect provision, they needed to leave that garden. Now God, of course, forgave them. They kept their connection with him in an incredible way. Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel continued to serve God outside of the garden. But working, toil, was another consequence of the fall of sin entering the world. In fact, as they were told they needed to leave the garden, I want to skip back to Genesis 3 and show you the way God describes it to Adam and Eve. Here's what he says to them. He says, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you'll have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. And here's a very famous part. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. So not only did Adam and Eve bring spiritual death into the world through their sin, by the way, each of us would have done the same thing. Let's not put that on them. This is the story of all humanity to be in this cycle of bringing sin and brokenness. But they also brought hard labor. If your job is hard, it's Adam and Eve's fault, really. I mean, that's the sin they brought into the world. Uh, but, but, but the truth is that that toil is the reason why Cain and Abel must have had the jobs that they did. They needed to obey God in this new world. They said, hey, we're out of the garden. We still have a connection with God. How do we live with him? That's the same question we're still asking today. What does our life look like in connection with God? Now we get to the point where their gifts become important. Their worship, how they brought their worship to God becomes the center focus here. Let me show you in the next couple verses of Genesis 4. It says, when it was time for the harvest, Cain, the older brother, presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Now, some of you might be wondering, how do you bring a gift to God? How do you give God crops? (laughs) He is an invisible eternal being, you don't just be like crops and see if he catches any. That's not how it worked. In fact, it's not mentioned in this story, but we know from ancient records and other stories from the Bible that what this meant was they would create an altar and then they would bring the item and they would burn it as a sacrifice to God. So they would, he literally brought some crops that he had and burned them up and really the symbol that was happening was God, this thing, you are more important than this thing. 
In fact, I'm going to burn this provision in order to show you that you are highly valued, God. So that was how they brought these things to them. But here's the outcome of it. They brought these sacrifices, these gifts, but here's how God responds. The Bible says the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what's right, but if you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. It's eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Here's how Cain responds. Later, one one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, some of you who don't know, didn't know this story are like, this started as them bringing gifts and all of a sudden it's a murder story. This is not only the first children, the first siblings, it's also the first murder. Uh, now, we're not gonna dwell here very long, mostly because I don't think many of us are struggling with like, should I worship God or should I murder people? I don't know that that's the conundrum we're having, but I do wanna mention it because the, the depth of Cain's sinful heart comes to absolute fruition in this act of incredible violence against an innocent person. The, the, the sin that was in his heart that God was warning him of that kept his gift from being accepted was really came to full life in this act of murder. But, but really the crux verse that we're gonna focus on today is that turning point. It's a few verses earlier. Let me read it to you again. Remember it said that the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. The question is why? What was it about Abel's gift that, that existed that Cain's lacked? What, what were the elements of these things? For us, too, what then should our worship look like? Are there things that our worship should have in order to be accepted by God versus Cain's where it must have been lacking in those ways? Well, I, there's at least three things. We're going to go through three characteristics that our worship, our gifts must have if they're going to honor God the way that we intend. Uh, here's what they are. Here's three of them. Worship must be sincere. Worship must be sacrificial and worship must be selfless. Now, I don't always nail the alliteration like I did today, but I'm so proud of this uh, and it it really comes from scripture. We're gonna look through each one of these to see how we can make our worship, we can choose to make our worship these things. Uh, Let's start with that first one. Worship has got to be sincere. And what I mean by this, it has to be from the heart, heartfelt. It has to be authentic when we worship God. Uh, was it a few weeks ago or months ago? It was Father's Day. Remember Father's Day? Um, my family and I, uh, to celebrate Father's Day, went out to Outback Steakhouse. I don't know why, but I have this connection in my mind of Father's Day and wedge salads uh, that I always love to have on Father's Day. And they have a great one at Outback Steakhouse at Delamo. <laughs> so we went there, and while we're sitting eating our steaks and wedge salads, uh, my wife said, we, we have a Father's Day gift for you. And she pulled out to give to me a big mug, giant mug. I love a giant mug. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. That's always been a favorite thing of mine. We have way too many now, big mugs. But uh, that was my Father's Day gift. More than that, inside the mug, almost looking like the strips of paper you might see like in a fortune cookie, were little slips of paper that my wife and our two boys had written uh, things they love about me inside. And it was full to the brim of such wonderful things. 
Actually, it was a gamble because my family knows I'm not often a words of affirmation guy. (laughs) That usually doesn't mean much to me, which is why they got the big mug to put it in because they know I'm a gifts guy. Uh, But in this instance, I was so moved by what my kids, especially my wife, had had written that, that they love about me. Really, the most reason why is because my older son described the situation. He said, Dad, even, even writing these things out, I was, I was emotional writing them because I just love you so much. Man, was it a great moment for me as a dad, as a family. You know why? Because I, I understood it was so sincere. But don't get me wrong, it was absolutely a Father's Day project that their mom forced them to do. Um, So don't miss that point. But they chose at that point to take it with a sincere heart, to do it sincerely, heartfelt to me. That meant so much. That is exactly what we need to be doing with God. God knows the sincerity of our hearts, and he wants us to bring our gifts, our worship, our honor to him with a vulnerability and authenticity that means that we actually honor him. In fact, we see that in our story from Cain and Abel. Here, it, it says it very interestingly. This is, of course, the English uh, translation from the ancient Hebrew, but I think it captures it well here because the Lord accepted Abel and his gift. The, the focus there is he accepted the person, and the gift was a nice secondary thing, but what God was really accepting or rejecting was the person because he did not accept Cain and his gift. God was concerned about the heart of these two people and there was a major difference. One was sincere and one didn't have sincerity crouched at his door. Do you remember what God says is crouched at the heart uh, of Cain? It's sin. In fact, remember he warns him and he says, listen, Cain, sin is crouching at the door. It's eager to control you. God knew that his gift came from an insincere place, almost close to sinfulness. God wasn't concerned that sin was going to spoil the crops. God was concerned that the sin is going to spoil Cain, and indeed it did. So the question that Cain should have been wrestling with that we need to wrestle with is this. What's the state of your heart? As we come to worship, what is the place where our heart really is? Is it focused? Is it given to God? Or is it going through the religious actions that some of us are just so used to? We need to come to God with a place of sincerity. In fact, I I do want to just mention, when I say heart, I want to make sure we're not connecting that always directly to emotion. Sometimes we mix those things up or we combine them in our Western culture, and that is not what I'm talking about. I do not mean that every Sunday morning you need to feel like emoting in your worship. I know as a Christian for a long time, there are long stretches of the time, I don't feel any emotion when it comes to worshiping God. That doesn't make God deserve it any less. That makes my decision a different decision. So yes, sometimes I can raise my hands, sometimes there are tears, but sometimes I can feel not much at all. And that doesn't change the sincerity that I can choose to bring in from my heart. In fact, that's the challenge from this one. The action step is this. We can choose. This is a resolve that we can have to worship God in our lives this week. We can make a decision to honor him by the way we live, what we say, how we treat our children, how we treat our coworkers, how we treat our neighbors. This is a decision to be sincere before God as we bring him our lives. So that's, that's the first step. Second thing that it must be including sincerity is this. It has got to be sacrificial. If we're going to worship God correctly, it has to cost something. Um, 
I was reading an article a while back about these teenage uh, celebrities, influencers, and I think they were turning 17, and the article was about this amazing gift they got. Their parents bought them for their 17th birthday, these incredible cars. I can't remember what the cars were, some mega Teslas or something incredible like that, a matching set for these two influencers. And I, uh, reading the article, I was like, wow, what a great present for a microsecond, until I realized, again, it was the kids who were the influencers. I actually looked up the parents. They were just normal people who had normal jobs. The money for these cars came from the kids. So the parents bought them this gift with the kids' money. And I don't have the money for a car. My kid is not quite that famous. But imagine if I went to my kid and I was like, hey, you know that allowance that I give you, the five bucks a week or whatever? I need all that back because I'm going to buy you a video game for your birthday. He'd be like, that's not a present. <laughs> that's th- there's no present at all. Because it didn't cost me as the gift giver anything. The same thing is true when it comes to our worship. It can be a quality of sacrifice that can make the difference between great worship and lousy worship. We see that again in our story of Cain and Abel. Let's look back. When it was time for the harvest, Cain, remember he was a farmer, he brought some of his crops. It's captured here a little bit, but the Hebrew makes it very clear. This is a dismissiveness from Cain. Just some leftover crops he had. Now again, contrasting that to Abel, Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Now it cannot be underemphasized. Remember I told you that they have these careers because they have to live. They must have livestock and crops to have clothing for the winters, for they have food for survival. And Cain is like, well, you can have my leftovers. Abel does just the opposite. Abel, to that altar to be burned, brings the thing he could have absolutely relied on, the first portion, the best portions of the firstborn, and he's like, I'm going to burn it up. The, the message is so unbelievable that, uh, that Abel is bringing. He is saying, God, even outside of the garden, in this dark, this dangerous world, I am going to rely on you and not myself. It's an incredible statement. He literally burns the thing he could have relied on. For us, we need to grapple with that question. Here's what it is. Do you follow God as your only hope? Is God the thing that you have sacrificed in order to rely on him? That would be the ultimate form of worship. That can come in steps of putting him in charge of more and more things to let him be your guide, to let him lead the direction of your family, your career choices, uh, the way we operate, the way we, we build up a bravery to share his love with people around us. That can be sacrificial of us. Something that says, God, I know this is going to cost me time, my comfort, but I am going to to worship you with my life. We need to be sacrificial in our worship. Last thing that we're going to learn today is this third one, uh, that worship must be selfless. I was having a great conversation with, I've been, this one guy that we grew up, uh, gave our lives to Jesus at a similar time in high school. We've been friends ever since. So the past 25, 30 years, we've been supporting each other. He lives far away, but we were on a phone call, and we were talking about, hey, how are you doing with the stuff of spiritual things. How, how's your prayer life going? Are you reading your Bible regularly? We're talking about encouraging each other. You're part of a small group where you can be accountable to people is great. And then the topic of giving, of generosity, financial generosity came up. Hey, how you doing? Of being generous with your finances to God's work. And he was like, yeah, you know what? Boy, I, I have, that's a hard one for me, he said. He said, that's hard because it turns out I don't really like giving my money to people. <laughs> and we kind of paused and laughed. And then we both recognized nobody likes, <laughs> nobody likes giving money away. <laughs> That's such a, of course. And I, I was able to admit to him in the conversation, I was like, yeah, man, you're right. I don't like doing any of this stuff. 
All this stuff about not sinning, this is the worst. I don't know about you, but I would much rather just be gone. And then if I do sin, I got to ask for forgiveness. Oh, Jesus, Louise. Or like this whole being nice to people all, all the time, being nice to everybody. That's crazy. Anyway, the, the, the funny part was it was very clear, even us joking around in this conversation, it, none of this stuff is like inherently. In fact, by the way, if you do like doing any of this stuff, that's cheating. <laughs> that shouldn't count, I feel like. If you're just naturally a good person, that shouldn't be fair, because it's really hard for me. Um, we need to be people where our Christian life isn't about what we like, it's about what God likes. God, by the way, I do not like it, but God loves for me to have a generosity with my finances. That one's really challenging. God loves when I sing songs of worship. God loves when I would, when I would bring my wholehearted self to honor him. Hey, this is the point where we're going to get really honest. Because although singing at church is not the definition of worship, it is a wonderful time for us to practice worshiping together. Okay, this is the, you don't need to tell anybody about this. You don't really need to nudge anybody. But have you ever been here at church and they start leading a song and it goes through your head, eh, I don't like this song. I wish they, if, if only they did that one. I'm really into that song. I've been there. Have you ever, have you ever gone a step further where you see both of here or at Torrance, you see them come out and you're like, oh, it's that one leading today. When is that other, when is that person leading? I can't wait for them to, to be here. <laughs> you ever felt that? Or, hey, let's talk about it now. How many of you guys have built a habit where you accidentally come 10 or 15 minutes late? <laughs> oh, the kids were really hard to get ready today. Really? <laughs> or have you just built a pattern where you would like to come a little bit later? Some of you are like, that's crazy. Worship is my favorite time of the service. Other people are like, hey, it's not for me. Uh-oh. <laughs> Worship is an incredible time to practice something that is not about you. It's an incredible moment for us to come together to express the same sentiments to God and be like maybe the key of worship is that it wouldn't involve myself but instead would be about how God feels. I am practicing this right along with you, by the way. This comes with no judgment, but instead an encouragement to connect with God together for God's sake, not in chasing the spiritual goosebumps. I have terrible news. Goosebumps have nothing to do with true worship. Selflessness does. In fact, again, we see that in the story of Cain. Let's look at it. The Lord, again, accepted Abel and his gift. He did not accept Cain and his gift. God knew something about Cain's heart. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. That's a key word we're going to come back to. Why, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what's right. In the Hebrew, this, this dejected phrase, there's a little micro drama, physical drama going on here. A more like legit, no, not legit, but more uh, literal translation says uh, Cain's face fell. And then that's what God repeats. He says, why did your face fall? I mean, there really is this, this visual picture of Cain interacting with God, but then God corrects him. Instead of Cain receiving the correction, Cain's face falls away and goes inside, and that's what God picks up. God says, don't, don't let your face fall. Don't disconnect from me in my correction. Cain goes inside in a way that's like, yeah, but what, what about me? It has got to be about me. 
He makes a selfish choice that, again, allows sin to blossom into full-on murder. I'm not worried about that for you, but I know that there are many ways that my sin left unchecked would blossom into brokenness and more and more in a cycle. The question is, am I willing to put myself aside? He had this opportunity to directly, even outside of the garden, directly communicate with God, and he went inside. Don't. Worship is not about us. The question for this one uh, is, is finally here. Who are we worshiping for? Do you worship for you or do you worship for the king of kings, the one who deserves it all? Do we worship for God's sake? Hey, we're gonna practice this uh, with one more song today. Uh, so I, at, at this point, you're gonna see the band starting to load at both campuses, but let me review. We, we can give some great gifts of worship to God, and, and I think our worship in our life would reflect it if we were doing these things. Worship must be sincere, worship must be sacrificial, and worship must be selfless. Now, especially if you're new with us, this might sound pretty dismal. Like, wow, God gets worship and I get self-sacrifice? Sounds pretty bad. I want to fill you in on the great paradox of worship, the great paradox of following God at all, which is the more we do, the more we give up of ourselves, the more God, out of his generosity and overabundance of kindness, pours into us his grace and mercy and presence and hope like you have never experienced before. I am challenging us to go low in our worship so that God can be raised high and you will not believe the incredible blessings that God wants to pull us up through if we would do that. God loves you and he wants to receive the worship he deserves from a sincere heart, a sacrificial heart, and one that's selfless.